And so he was sent to Nineveh to preach to them, to share the prophetic word with them, and to basically just do what God told him to do. He's a prophet. That's what he's supposed to do. So he decides that he's not going to do it. In other words, he has a direct word. He has a word that God's given him. He has a task. He has a job. He has a call. He has an anointing. He has purpose. There's a plan over his life. God's spoken to him. God sent him. And he decides he's just not going to do it. So he decides he's going to run away from God. And so he gets aboard this ship and he's going to run away. Just get away. Getting away from the call, getting away from the responsibility, getting away from the the anointing, getting away from whatever he thinks he can get away from by running away from God. And so we come up on this passage. What happened was a storm had come up while he was on the ship, and it was a really particularly bad storm. And so the, the guys that were running the ship, the seamen that were aboard, were upset over the storm. And so they were trying to figure out why they were in the middle of the storm. They're trying to attach some kind of meaning to it. If you want to read the first ten verses of Jonah, go right ahead. Um, but and so they're trying to figure out, and they're trying to uh, figure out, okay, so why is this happening to us? What's going on? And they had their superstitions. Like I don't know if you know much about sailors, but there's a number of superstitions involved in sailing. And so they had their superstitions, and they had you know there are ways that they would explain things or reasons for things happening and so it came up and they found out that Jonah was running away from God not only any god but the god of Israel is who he was running away from the god of the Hebrews and so i'm sure that they had heard of the god of the Hebrews and they heard of his marvelous works they they heard things that he had done so they had some kind of a an understanding of that. And so the Bible tells us that they were terrified when they found out that Jonah was running away from the God of the Hebrews. And they asked him a question. I'm just going to leave the question, and you can think about this while I'm talking. But the question they asked him is this, how could you do a thing like that? How could you do a thing like that? They, they, that's what they asked Jonah. How could you run away from the living God? And so we'll leave that and talk about that in a little while. So Jonah, if, if you know the rest of the book, and I'm not going to ruin it for you, you go ahead and read it. But, but I mean, Jonah, he had to come to terms with this. He had to come to terms with the fact that he had a call, he had anointing, he had uh, a leading, he had a purpose, a plan that God had for him, and he just decided not to do it. And so there were consequences to him deciding not to do it. And the consequences that he faced also affected other people. And so he had to come to terms with the fact that he was running away from what God had for him. He was running away from the plan that God had. He was running away from the anointing that God had. He was running away from uh, the, the future that God had already placed before him and decided he was just going to do whatever he was going to do. And so... Coming to terms with that, I don't think it was very easy. Uh, you start dealing with things. When you have to come to terms with things like that, you start dealing with things like pride. 
You have to start dealing with things like doubt. You have to start dealing with things that, that involve your faith and involve your trust in who God is. You have to start dealing with things that involve who you are and the parts of us that sometimes are a little bit despicable that need to be dealt with that we ignore most of the time or we pretend aren't there because they're not confronted a whole lot. And so what happens is when something like that in us begins to affect the people around us, uh, it creates a problem. Especially if you look at your life and you got people around you that care about you and what you're doing affects them, there's a problem. And that's hard. That's hard to deal with. That's hard to face. Uh, and and it, it's a difficult time. Years ago when uh, I had gotten sick, I was in the hospital for quite a while, and then on home care for quite a while. I had to face certain things about my life because it was affecting the people around me. It was affecting the church, and it was affecting the people around me. And I had to address some things, and I had to really face some things, and I had to really talk about some things with people. Because it's one thing when it's my problem. It's another thing when it's our problem or your problem. When it's not really your problem at all, it's in me. And and I think that when we're faced with those circumstances, it it, it brings us to points of crisis in our life that we really need to, to look at and say, okay, well, I'm willing to face who I am now. I'm willing to face these parts of me. I'm willing to face uh, this, this part of my relationship with God that needs attention or whatever it is that we need to face. You, know, you see that... Uh, magnified when you have children and you're trying to raise children and you see parts of you that are coming through in them but they're the parts of you that you don't want anybody to know about. Well, unfortunately, now your child acts like you. A bigger child. And it becomes a problem because then they're affecting people around them. And, and you see yourself in that. And that's a hard thing to to come to grips with. And and every parent that I know of has to come to grips with that. They need to come to grips with the effects that they have on their children. And so whether or not they have the maturity to do that, I have no idea. I can't really answer that except for myself in that I, I hope that over the years I've been able to come to grips with a bunch of things in my life through that process. And I'm sure there's other things I didn't come to grips with. So Jonah was at that point where he needed to do something. Because what he had done, um, he tried to to kind of slice and dice God's word to him. And we, we tend to do that. We try to slice up what God says to make it a little bit more comfortable. Because God may tell us to do X, Y, and Z, but we're not really to do, ready to do X, Y, and Z. So we'll, we'll make a deal with God. I'll do half of X, a third of Y, and I'll do the tail end of Z. How's that sound? So we slice up the word. Notice I didn't use any details there because I don't want to irritate anybody. But we try to slice up the word to make it more comfortable or make it something that we in our mind can conceive that we could possibly do. It could be a bunch of different reasons. could be a bunch of different causes, but... That slicing and that dicing is a real issue. When you begin to slice and dice God's Word, the Gospel, we do that with the Gospel sometimes, revelation that God gives us, 
trying to slice and dice into that revelation, trying to just take the parts we like but leave behind the parts we don't like, a commission that God puts on our life, a call that God puts on our life where, well, I can always do this if I don't do the whole thing. That's dangerous. And not only is that dangerous, that's unfulfilling. Not only is it unfulfilling, it's death. What do I mean by that, death? Somebody look at 1 Kings 3. 1 Kings 3, chapter 20, or excuse me, verse 26. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 26. You can read it when you get there. Alright, here's a famous story. Solomon. Uh, two, two women came to Solomon. They had a problem. One woman had stolen the other woman's child, but they were both claiming it was their child. You know the story? Mm-hmm. Sort of? And so they bring this child before Solomon, and Solomon's like, alright, well, I don't know. You're telling me he's yours. You're telling me he's yours. I, I don't know. I think I'm just going to take a sword and just cut him in half. I'll give you half, and I'll give you half. Don't slice and dice. And, of course, Solomon knew the real mother, rather than seeing the child killed, said, here, let me give you this child, and was going to give up her own child to the woman who stole him in order to keep him alive. And by that, Solomon knew that was the real mother and awarded the child to the mother. Uh, you got to be careful when you start slicing and dicing. Because all you end up with is nothing. And that's the problem with it. The problem with it is that when God calls and when God speaks and when He commissions and when He brings revelation, when He brings His Word into your life, the Gospel into your life, it's one of those things is it's kind of all or nothing. And I know you don't like to hear that. Who likes to hear that? It's all or nothing. Oh, I hate that. Well, yeah, because that, that's what it is. And and so when it's all or nothing and you start to slice and dice it, you're just killing it. You're just going to kill it. There's no slicing. There's no dicing. It is what it is. God's Word is God's Word. God's revelation is God's revelation. The Gospel is the Gospel. His commission, His call over your life is His commission and His call. If you've ever noticed over the years, and I'm not going to say anything, point anything out, nothing. All I'm going to say is this. There's been people in our church that have gotten calls over their life. They've shared it with people. It's not a, it's not a secret. And God has, has called them years ago. Years ago. I mean, this is way back in the 90s. There's a girl that, that was part of our church, a female part of our church, got a call on her life. Supposed to go somewhere. But, she was on her way to get there and on her way to, to get to where God called her to go. She met... A guy. Right. So, she's like, all right, right, there's this guy, but I've already told him about my call. I'm like, okay. Yeah, and he's going to he's gonna go along with the call. He's just going to follow me to where I'm going. I'm like, sure he is. Yep. Yeah, that always happens. Never. I mean, 
and it was even multiplied with this guy because you got this guy who was a like PhD from an Ivy League school, going to go out to California at a big boom in that market out there with hiring people, and was going to get a job where he's going to start at like two hundred grand a year. He's not going to the mission field. I'm just telling you. And so that's what I told her. I said, you're trying to dice, you're trying to slice, you're trying to divide this thing up, you're trying to tell me how it's going to be. God already told you how it is. You slice it, you dice it, it's going to die. So she sliced it, she diced it, she got married, making tons of money, but guess what happened to the call? Dead. That's what happened. That's what happened. And so I want to I want to encourage you that as God speaks, take note. As God calls, take note. As God commissions, take note. As God gifts, take note. As God brings revelation, you need to take note in your life. As God brings His Word to you, you need to take note. As God begins to reveal the Gospel to you in even greater terms. Yesterday was a significant Moment, and I know you didn't see it that way. God knows if half of you were awake, but it was a significant moment in the revelation of the gospel over us as a body. Take note. Take note. Because it's not sliced and it's not diced, it is what it is. And we are going to accept it, we're going to receive it, we're going to live it. That includes His call, that includes His word, that includes His revelation, that includes all of those things. We're going to accept it. Believe it and live it or it's just going to die. If you just take the part you like, you killed it. And I want you to really, and I know it's disgusting, but think of that baby. And two women there, they had Solomon there. He's like, I'll just slice it down the middle here. You have half, you have half. Good. Well, when you start slicing and dicing that which is living, you know, and then the Bible describes God's Word as living and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, but it's living. And you start slicing and dicing that which is living. You start slicing and dicing His Word over your life. You start slicing and dicing His call over your life. You kill it. You're going to kill it. You can't do that with living stuff. It doesn't work that way. You want to cut a block of cheese in half and share it with somebody? Fine. Fine. But you can't do that with, with something that's living. And God's Word is living. His revelation is living. we got to take it as a whole. So we got Jonah. He tries to slice and dice something here. Got the call of God on his life. Got God speaking to him. And, and, he started, and he's running away from God. Now, the sailors had a good point about Jonah. Here was their point. And that's this, if you fear God that made the sea and the dry land. Alright, so let's start with that premise. If you fear, if you believe in, if you accept, if you put yourselves in the hands of a God who you believe has made the sea and the dry land. Now remember this is their modes of transportation. So these sailors, that's what they're asking him. If you fear a God that made the sea and the dry land, why would you be so foolish to think you can flee from His presence? David was really clear about the presence of God. 
And, and he, he, just, he spoke it just as plainly as possible. You can't get away from the presence of God. You just can't. And, and he used the terms. He said, well, if, even if you go to Sheol, he's there. Even if you go to the top of the mountain, he's there. You go to the depths of the sea, he's there. He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. And so it's foolishness to think that we're going to run away from his presence. It's foolishness. And even these unlearned sailors who were pagans and heathens, they didn't have any faith in the living God, didn't have any faith in the God of the Hebrews, didn't have any faith in Jehovah, the God that Jonah served, didn't have any faith in any of that, had no learning in any of those things, had no understanding of those things. These were ignorant, uneducated heathens. They could even pick up on the fact that if you fear a God who is who made the sea in the dry land, you're not going to get away from it. You can't go anywhere. He's made it all. He rules it all. He's in it all. He is omnipresent. There's nowhere to go. There's been whole doctrines within the church and that people believe that there's places you can go where God's not. It's not true. It's not true. And you can think of anywhere. Think of anywhere you don't think God would be. He's still there. Sheol, the place of the dead, God's there. Hell, Jesus, descended. Alright? You can't, you can't name anything, any place. You think about the biggest den of iniquity that you can think of. Or if it's a drug house, or if it's a strip club, or whatever it is, whatever the biggest den of iniquity you can think of, he's still there. He's still there. And so, any any foolishness is that, oh, I'm going to run away from the presence of God. Where? Where? And, and that's literally the question. That's really, literally, the, the thing that these sailors were coming at Jonah about. It's like, where... You believe this. This is your faith. This is what you declare. This is how you worship. This is who the God is of of your universe that that you're a part of. And say, well, how in the world, how in the world can you flee from His presence? You can't. It's foolishness. Foolishness. And for us, I mean, you, you think about physical places, but you can also think about emotional places or mental places that people try to go where they try to escape. Escape where? I'm going to escape into whatever. I'm going to sleep. Well, God's in your sleep. I mean, how many times has He spoken through dreams? How many times does He speak to us when we're asleep? He's in our sleep. I'm going to stay in bed all day. Well, He's in your bed. Alright, He's with you. You can't flee from His presence by pretending He's not there. The imagination is strong, but it's not. it doesn't create anything like that. Nothing. Well, I'm so dark in depression, I know God isn't here. Yeah, He is, actually. You don't see Him or feel Him, but He's there. Maybe you see him and feel him. I don't know, but I mean, a lot of times people say when they get all depressed, they get all down, they don't see, they don't feel God. Well, he's still there. 
Whether you feel him or see him or don't, he's still there. You can't get away from him. And it's foolishness to attempt it. It's foolishness to believe it. It's foolishness to try. Even the unlearned and the uneducated can figure that out. Children understand that. They understand it. So it says that the sailors became terrified. You know, prior to them finding out about Jonah, prior to his confession about who he was, what was going on, I mean, they were fearing the the storm and their fear and death. That was true. They were fearing those things because it was a really, really bad storm. And I don't know if you've ever seen ships that are really old. Uh, one, of the, one of the funny things, comments that I hear a lot, uh, and I've been to this one particular place a couple times at the Jamestown Settlement down in Virginia. Uh, it's when uh, some early settlers came in, and they came in on these, uh, you know, boats. They're like um, like you'd see for like the Mayflower and and those kind of boats that they came over from England on. I don't know if you've ever seen those boats. But they're not very big. I mean, seriously. And I've heard people say that when they look at it, like, I can't believe how small they are. And they are. They're really small, and they're made of wood. Yeah. And I can imagine if you're in a big storm, like a huge storm in the ocean, and you got 20-foot swells, you're down in the water in a 20-foot swell. You can't see over that. Okay? It just surrounds you. The water surrounds you in that swell. And there's a lot bigger swells than 20 feet in the middle of the ocean. I've been in 20-foot swells, and I ain't been that far off the, the coast. So... I can only imagine you're in a boat, one of these wooden boats they were going around and it ain't that big. Whatever's in your head, it ain't that big. Okay, it's smaller than you think. And and it says they were terrified. They feared the storm and they feared dying. Well, well, they should. Because a lot of those boats lost at sea never found again. And if you get driven toward land, you might crash on a reef and it'd be broken up. Yeah, I mean, it could be anything. You'd crash onto the shore and be broken up. I mean, a lot of things could happen. And so... They feared the storm. They feared dying. And then they find out about Jonah. Why do they know about Jonah? Well, Jonah's running from God, and God's upset with him. Now they feared God. They feared God because he's the cause of the storm. You know what I tell you about sailors? They're looking for a reason, right? They found a reason. You got Jonah. He's a prophet. He's a worshiper of God, and he's running away from what God told him to do. All of a sudden, a storm comes up. Coincidence? Not to them. He's the reason. He's the problem. He's the sin in their midst. He's the issue, the real issue of what's going on. And so, not only did they fear the storm, they feared die, but now they fear God because He was the cause of the storm. They became terrified. You know, and I said this earlier, our mistakes often affect other people. They just do. Things, bad decisions we make in our life, they affect other people. We don't want them to necessarily. Even if we think of other people, which some of us wouldn't because we just don't. But even if we were to happen to think of other people and what the consequences of our mistakes might be, and we get beyond how it's going to affect us, and we start looking at the people around us, that's a terrible thing. When our mistakes are affecting the people that are around us, especially if they're people that 
we care about. And so it's a humbling thing to see the results of your actions affecting other people. But that's what Jonah did. He saw it. That's why he confessed to them. That's why he confessed that he was running from God. That's why he confessed that he, he had, had not been following after what God had for him. He felt he needed to because not only was this affecting him, not only was he in the middle of a storm, not only was he going to be shipwrecked, not only was he going to be the one that was going to lose everything, but now he's taken down a whole shipload of people. And so he felt the need to let him know why. Because he knew that these were the consequences of his actions. And so he shared it with them so that they would know too. And so he gives us a little formula here. I'm not big on formulas, but he gives us a little guidance on how to deal with stuff in our life. Because I know this stuff happens to us. It happens to you, it happens to me, it happens to all of us. How do you deal with it though? Just pretend you didn't do it? It's like that little fart in the room that you pretend you didn't do. But then it's affecting everybody, but you know you did it. Maybe if you just ignore it long enough, it'll go away. Hopefully no one talks about it, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. See, that that's not how you deal with this, though. And probably Jonah had tried to deal with it that way. Oh, it's a storm. It'll pass. It didn't pass. Oh, it'll get better. It'll lighten up soon. It got worse. Ship's starting to fall apart. So he tells us how to do it. How do you deal with this? Okay, first thing he does is he sees the result of his own actions. He takes responsibility. These are the results of my actions. Okay, step one. These are the results of my actions. That's a big step. If you're not a person that's prone to take responsibility for stuff, you're prone to blame it on somebody else, probably. Yeah. That doesn't help anything. Ever. Especially in this circumstance, it does not help to just blame somebody else. Why? You're the one that's going to face the consequences. You're the one that's facing the consequences. And it's affecting the people around you that you care about. So, we need to accept it when, when it is us. When we know it's us. I'm not saying make that up. Don't take the blame when it's not the blame. When you're not the blame, I mean, that's just stupid. But take the blame when it is. When it's your blame. It's your fault. Just be willing to accept the fact that this is a result of my actions. And accept it in your own life. And I don't mean just go through the motions of saying it, but actually accepting that in your heart. Accepting that in your mind. And here's the third part of this that I think is really super important. So we've got, you, we need to see it. We need to see it as a result of our action, but we also need to accept it. That's number two. We need to accept it. Okay. It's me. I accept that. I accept the responsibility. I accept the blame for it. This is me. I got it. That's number two. Number three, we need to justify God in it. Okay, so if the first part's seeing it, the second part's accepting it, the third part is justifying God in it. How do you justify God? Well, how you justify God is that you recognize 
This isn't on him. This is on you. And you might even need to make that kind of a declaration. This is on me. This isn't on God. This is this is well within my ability to affect this before it even started. This is well within my ability to have made a better decision before it ever got to this point. It's been well within my my ability and what I could do to make sure and we'd never be in this situation right here. This isn't God, this is me. Those are three things that we see Jonah doing, how he dealt with the situation. The fourth thing is you need to part. You need to part from that action or attitude to cause it. Make your departure. So you figure it out. It's like, well, the action is usually easy. If it's something external, you just got you got to part from that. It's like, I'm not going to do that anymore. Done. The attitude. Most of us know when we have bad attitude. We do. Somebody might even tell us. But but most of us know when we have a bad attitude. And we need to part from that when it's time. Once we see it, once we accept it, once we justify God in it, we need to part from it. Whatever that is, the action, the attitude, whatever it is. And here's a question for you, kind of an interesting question. Because all this stuff's happening because Jonah, he tried to slice and dice God's word and he tried to run away from God. How great a sin is it to be a fugitive servant? That's what I think about it. How great a sin is it to be a fugitive servant? Well, it's a big enough sin that a whole ship was about to be destroyed. It's a big enough sin that God came looking after Jonah with a storm. And I know we don't like to think of it that way. It's like, well, you know... Yeah, what do we think of the big ones as? Like murder or something? You got murder out there, you got idol worship, and, you know, or whatever. But we don't really think about running away from God as being this huge of a sin, but it seems to be a really big one. Bigger than we thought, right? I mean, how great a sin. God sends a storm after Jonah who's running away. From God, His will and His plan for His life. God would send a storm after Him? Well, He commissioned Him to do something, hadn't He? There's a whole city, a great city of Nineveh. needed His word. They needed to hear from Him. And Jonah was the man of the hour. Jonah, you got to get over to Nineveh. This is what needs to happen. And so Jonah running away from Him, and God sent a whole storm after Him. That must be a big deal. Now, am I saying that to make you feel badly? No. I'm just saying that so you take it seriously when God speaks something to you. So you take it seriously when God reveals something to you. So you take it seriously when, when God, God is bringing revelation into your life. So you're not just half, you know, seeing it, not seeing it, ignoring it, running away from it, whatever it is you're going to do, slicing it, dicing it, just trying to make it fit some paradigm that you already have in your head. That you stop doing that. And take seriously what God has taken the time to pour into your life. So he sends a whole storm after Jonah because this must have been a big deal. And I want you to see it as a big deal because it is.
And I, you know, I've missed God a bunch of times in my life. I'm not even, I'm not even going to tell you. And some of you, you, you can, you can share this right along with me about things in your life that have had to change that you've had to do in order to follow after what God's called you to do. I encourage you toward that. When God called me, I had to change my major. I had to, to take uh, like extra classes to graduate on time. I had to go to summer school. Uh, I had to disappoint my father, disappoint my mother. Got called names. Probably the hardest thing that took a hit in order to follow after what God had for me was my pride had to take a hit. Because I wasn't going to complete something that I started. And I tried to slice it and dice it so I could complete what I had started. And then I would go start whatever it is God had for me. That's not how it works. That's just not how it works. I mean, you look at the, the guys following Jesus. Well, Lord, let me go first say goodbye to my family. Yeah, well, whatever. See ya. Well, let me go bury my father. Yeah, let dead bury their own dead. See ya. And I hope you can understand that. When Jesus was calling the disciples, I mean, there wasn't any excuses. There wasn't any slicing and dicing on the call. It was either they dropped what they had and they followed Him or they didn't. Because you kill it otherwise. You kill the call. You kill the, the, the work. You kill what God's trying to do. And it might not be what you want to hear tonight, but that's what I, I believe God wants to say. And so, these guys, as I said before, they knew the God of the Hebrews. They 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 had heard about how He had gotten them out of Egypt, and and they had heard about how He had performed miraculous signs and wonders, and they had heard about how He He had led the armies of Israel and defeated every enemy. And they'd heard about how he was a God of, of, of all of these signs and all these wonders and all these things. And so they had heard of him before. And the fact that someone would run away from him made absolutely no sense to them. None. And so they, they questioned him. And that was that question that they asked that I asked at the beginning. So I want to go back to that. I want you to think about this question. How could you do a thing like this? And really, it's a question with no reason. There's no answer to it because it's unreasonable. It's an unreasonable question that, that anyone would ever even do that. How are you going to answer that? Why would you run away from a God who's everywhere all the time? You can't. Silly. Why would you try to escape from His presence when He's present with you all the time? You can't. It's silly. Why would you run away from a God of all power and might like that that wants to use you for His purposes. Who would? That's silly. And so they asked Him the question, they well, how could you do a thing like this? And in that question, in, in, in the way it's written in the, in the original language, it is expressing horror, not curiosity. Okay? We read that however you're going to read it. And we might read that as a curiosity question. That's not how it's expressing at all. The tone of it in the Hebrew is that it is a question of horror, amazement, 
wonder, but not really curiosity. Maybe some reproach even to it, but but not curiosity in and of itself. And you see that in the Bible in a couple of different places. Somebody look at in this guy interesting Genesis three. Genesis three thirteen. Just look there real quick because you get one of these questions here, like that. All right, so the Lord is asking Eve, all right, what is this you've done? It's the same kind of question. Does he know what she had done? Yeah, yeah. so it wasn't really a question of curiosity. It was a question of horror. Like, what are you doing? How could you do this? That's that same kind of question that you see right there, that these guys are asking Jonah. Or, or look in Genesis 4.10. You see God doing it again. Genesis 4.10. Where it said, Did God knew what Cain had done? Yeah. yeah, of course. So it's not curiosity. It's horror. And that's exactly what you see being asked here. It's not really curiosity at all. It's like, how could you do this? How could you do this, a thing like this? So why not just obey God? And that's really the, the question that's being begged up here is, why not obey such a great God? you got this great God of the universe that has all power, all might, all resources. He calls, He commissions, He empowers, He sends, He, he loves, He forgives. I mean, all of these things, He's such a great God. He can do anything. He can cor- turn the course of of king's hearts. He can turn the course of history. He can do whatever He wants to do. And that's the God that we serve. Why not? Why not just obey Him? Why not obey such a great God? And that's really, these sailors, I mean, what they believe in. Wooden statues? Stone statues? What was the pagan belief that they had? Probably nothing more advanced or complicated than that. They probably carved their gods and worshipped them. But you know, deep down inside, most people that carve their own God and worships it knows that they carved it and it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. And they figure it out. And so, they sat in amazement at a guy like Jonah who had a connection with this great God of the universe, this great God of the Hebrews, that really affected things. You couldn't carve him out of your own piece of wood. You couldn't carve him out of a whale's tooth. You couldn't carve him out of a stone. He, 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 he's greater than all that. And, and he communicates with Jonah, and he commissions him, and he empowers him. He gives him revelation. He gives him purpose. Why not obey him? These guys had nothing. They had their boat that was cracking up and about to sink. That's all they had. They didn't have any commission from God. They didn't have any purpose from God. He hadn't looked into their lives and said, I want you. 
go and do this thing. He hadn't empowered them to go and prophesy to a city. He hadn't empowered them to go preach. He hadn't done any of those things. Those guys lived day to day, hand to mouth. They they barely existed. They're squeaking out of existence. And here they were about to die on the open sea. And they're looking at Jonah who had all of that, all of that, all of it. Why not just obey him? That's an awesome way to live. Jonah had a revelation, a commission, a purpose from God. Why not fulfill it? Now you think about even Jesus. Do you really believe Jesus died for you? How do you ignore that? I mean, you don't have to answer that. You believe whatever you believe, but if you really believe it, how do you ignore it? I don't know. If another person had had given their life for you, it's hard to ignore, isn't it? And yet, we believe Jesus gave his life for us. How do we ignore him? And and I'm not saying that, again, I, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I'm trying to give perspective on this in that we have this relationship that we take for granted. We have this relationship that we we, we don't even invest into half the time. And here he is, the God of the universe, the God who loves us, the God who cares for us, a God who pours out on us lavishly. we got Jesus who died for each of us. He died for us. We're just going to ignore Him? How does that make any sense? And, and that was the horror of the sailors. That was the horror of these people that were on this boat. It's like, He's done so much and He loves you so much and He's given you so much. Why don't you just serve Him? It's confusing. It's confusing. They were confused. And so... They, they had a hard time wrapping their head about a, wor- a worshiper of the one true God departing from Him. And if you really think about it, and, and I'm going to leave you with a couple of thoughts here. If people really believe in eternity, how do we get wrapped up in a moment? I mean, if we really believe in eternity, really, and you think about what eternity is, just stretch it out in your brain. Because your brain will go a certain distance. It ain't going to go any further. But you stretch that out about as far as you can in your brain. How do you get caught up in a moment? How do we get caught up in a moment? If we really believe in eternity. And that's one of those questions like, if you really believe Jesus died for you, how do you ignore Him? If you really believe the Father pours out His Spirit into your life and gives you revelation and understanding and calls you and commissions you and sends you, how do you just run away from that? And these are the questions the heathens were asking. These are the questions the pagans were asking. Not because they were trying to judge them and make them feel bad, but because that's something they just didn't have. That's something they didn't experience. That's something they never even understood. They didn't have any concept of something like that happening. And I'm sure they were thinking, if something like that happened to me, man, I'd run right after that. They might have been right. You know there's a reason the gospel went to the Gentiles, right? There's a reason why the gospel came to us. Because the people it was first preached to didn't want it. So we got it. 
And I think it's imperative that we still want it, I guess. I can sit and talk to each one of you till I'm blue in the face. And it doesn't matter. Because you have to make your decisions. You have to come to your conclusions. You would have to get excited about Jesus in your life. You'd have to get excited about His presence. You'd have to get excited about His call. You'd have to get excited about Him empowering you. You'd have to get excited about Him using you in prophecy. You'd have to get excited about using Him to speak into other people's lives and and to see their lives change. You'd have to get excited about that. I can talk about it. I can describe it. I can tell stories about it. I mean, all those things may help, but when it comes right down to it, it's going to be on you. I mean, we'll keep getting up on Sundays and playing music and singing. It's up to you to decide to worship. It's like me sitting up in front and speaking and it's going to be up to you to decide to let the Word of God actually affect you and challenge you and do something about it. That's you. I can't make you do that. No one can. I could look at you in horror and say, what are you doing? But does that really... Eh, who knows? So, I want to encourage it toward some change. I want to encourage it toward just revisiting this question. How could you do a thing like that? And I want to encourage it toward that really only because I want to spur you on to something. Some kind of action. Some kind of response. Some kind of decision. Some kind of, of, of following after something that God has for you. Anything. Anything. God has to say, you know, whatever He said. Just follow after. See what happens. I'm going to take a few moments and I'll pray for you. Just ask God's blessing. And uh, just ask Him to bless this Word to you. You can read about what happens to Jonah. He ends up going overboard to save the ship and to save all those people. Kind of dives back into what God has for him. Gets swallowed up by a fish that coughs him up on the shore near Nineveh. Then he goes about and does what God called him to do. I don't like fish enough to get swallowed by one. So, hopefully you don't want to get swallowed by one either. Father, thanks for uh, just your love for us. Thanks, God, for your care over us. And I give you thanks that you you look out for us and you provide for us whatever we need. God, you even go beyond our needs to our wants. You're just so good to us. You lavish just so much on us as your people, and we give you thanks for that. I pray that we would not take it for granted. I pray we wouldn't take for granted the God of the universe who abides with us. We wouldn't take for granted the, 
the saving work of Jesus who died for us, we wouldn't ignore His shed blood, the life that He brings. And I pray, God, that we would take seriously when You speak over us and You call us, that we'd answer the call. Let's give you thanks that you don't call us to be geniuses. You don't call us to be ultra-talented. You don't call us to, to most stuff that people confuse with what it is to serve Christ. But you do call us to be faithful and obedient. And I pray, God, that we would heed your call. So, God, tonight I thank you for, uh, again, your love over us. I thank you for your patience, your long-suffering. I thank you, God, that you're pulling for us. You want us moving into what you have for us, a place of fulfillment, a, a place of, of, uh, of peace and joy, a place of purpose, a really a place of life, and I thank you for that life tonight. So God, if we've come to a point in our life where we realize that our actions or inaction is, is affecting other people, I, I pray, God, that you'd take us, help us in that process of seeing what we've done, accepting and taking responsibility. I pray that we'd be quick to justify you all the time, God. In our own hearts, our own minds. This isn't you, this is me. This is me. And I pray, God, that we'd be willing to part from whatever the action, whatever the attitude is that God is here to start with. Pray a life of freedom, liberty. I pray you teach us to hear you and do what you tell us to do. I pray we be faithful, obedient servants of our Master, our King, our Lord, our friend. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.